Jessica Tim. Uh, I want to, just before I start, celebrate. We have two things to celebrate. One, uh, we've been praying for well over a year for a youth pastor and a children's pastor. We've got our youth pastor, and we don't have our kids' pastor. We've had a number of different people that we've been interviewing, but we still don't have them. And so we need to count it all joy that we are waiting because God is doing the work. And so while this battle isn't over yet, and it isn't won yet, as we sang, he never loses a battle, but, you know, we're in the battle, and so we'll trust him. And keep praying. I encourage you to keep praying. The other person I want to celebrate is Doug Clark. Uh, he died uh, yesterday or the day before in the morning, and he's the oldest, he was the oldest living member of our church. And I'm celebrating. We're going to pray over his family later on in the service. But I'm celebrating because Doug was looking forward to going home. And he's home. He had a strong faith. He relied on Jesus. And I think the moment he passed from this world to the next, he went, finally, after a hundred years of here. So, Doug, or Jesus, tell Doug we miss him, but we don't want him back. <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, this, uh, uh, in July, I spent some time at West with my oldest son and his family, and uh, he has three children. Austin is two, Maverick is four, and I was sitting kind of in the kitchen area just watching Austin and Maverick fight with one another, and uh, Austin had, I think it was a truck, but I can't remember for sure what it was, but what he had belonged to Maverick. Now, Maverick hadn't played with it all day long, hadn't paid any attention, but his younger brother had the truck, and as soon as he saw him with the truck, he wanted the truck. And so he went over, he's bigger and stronger, four years old, and he grabbed the truck, but he forgot that Austin is big too for being two years old, and he held on to it. And so then Austin started, you know, the only thing he could do is hold and scream, hold and scream. And then Maverick was trying to reason with him by yelling at him and pulling, yelling and pulling. And so this, this fight was building, and they soon got the, now I'm watching the whole time because, um, I'm the grandparent. I don't have to deal with stuff like this. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I was wondering how my son, who did the same thing when he was two and four, I was wondering, how's he going to handle this? And so uh, the two of them were fighting back and forth, back and forth. I want, I want, I want, I want. And then finally, Dallas had to step in, and he tried to talk with them. He tried to reason with them. He tried to threaten them. You're going to go to your rooms, and you know, the whole bit. And they kept fighting because it was, I want, I want, I want. And you know, I'm glad we, we as adults have grown out of that. James chapter 4. We're in a series on James called Real Faith. James chapter 4. James deals with a number of different things. You've heard us all preach different parts of this book, and now I want to look at James 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? He's not talking to four-year-old and two-year-olds. Hmm. It would appear... We haven't grown 
out of it. You, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Don't the battles you have with other people come because I want? I want. But you have. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Now, I think... <laughs> I don't think this is a literal, now I got what you want. It's, I think it's a, a reflection of what Jesus talked about. You hate in your heart. When, when, when you want something from somebody and they don't give it to you, then you get angry in your spirit and you hate them, which is to kill, to destroy them from your heart. I think that's what he's referring to. I'm almost certain he's not talking about literally killing, but killing from your attitude, your heart toward them. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. I want, I can't get it, I will fight. I want the truck, he has it, I'll pull it from him. And a quarrel starts. And it just happens in our lives. And you're thinking, yes, I'm sure it happens in other people's lives. Just hold on. Have you ever quarreled or fought with a boss? Because you want more pay and they won't give it to you. And so you resort to bad attitude, bad work ethic, complaining. Or you want credit for what you've done and you haven't received the credit. So you fight back by your words or your actions. Your attitude. You want more sex in your marriage, but you're not getting it. And so you're angry at the other person. You want more freedom from your parents. Lighten up. Stop the rules. And so you gain this attitude that battles back and forth. You want your kid to have more time on the playing field. But the coach won't play him, so you fight with the coach. You're at a stoplight. I've seen this happen. You're at a stoplight, and the person in front of you doesn't go. They must be doing something on their phone or something, right? And, and, and like the other lane is going, and you're like, ah, get moving. And so you tailgate them because they're not going fast enough. I mean, you can't reach out and fight with them by words, so you do it with your car. Move over! Am I the only one that does that? <laughs> Are you guys that holy? <laughs> Come on. I want. I don't get. So I fight and I quarrel. Now, James wants to teach us about this part of our heart. So religion, first and foremost, comes from here. It is not about coming to church, giving, praying. All those things are, are necessary and important if they come from a heart that truly seeks Jesus. The outward actions, it's not that we shouldn't do outward actions, it's that they should be a reflection of a heart that's seeks God. And so James is going right after your heart, what we want and how we act because of what we want. And James is going to teach us that real faith is about learning to want what God wants. There's an assumption in that statement. And it's that we don't naturally want what God wants, at least not all the time. Real faith is learning to want what God wants. 
Now, if you think if you were a Christian and you wanted something, you would pray to God. I mean, after all, he's all wise, so he knows what's best. He's all loving. He wants to give us what's best. He's, he is all powerful, so he can give us what's best. You'd think we would just turn to God. And James kind of picks that up, and he says, uh, you do not have because you don't ask God. So there's two ditches we fall into when we want something. He says, you don't, the first ditch is you don't ask God, probably because I know God's not going to be all that happy with what I want. But when you do ask, other ditch, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You're not, we're not asking because we want to honor God with what we want. We're asking because we want it. So we'll either go after it ourselves, forget about God, or we'll ask God to manipulate the situation and give us what we want. In other words, we'll manipulate him. Here's the problem. When we do that with God, when we do that with God, we are making our wants, what we want inside, greater than God in our lives. When I'm pursuing what I want and I'll quarrel and fight for it or I'll manipulate God to get it, what I want has become my God, not God. I've removed him from the lordship, the throne, the master position of my life. And I have now exalted myself over him. Thank you very much, because I know what I want. Now, I don't know how many of you find this with TV, but I do. I like TV. I, I'll admit it. I like TV. I like to watch. I like books. I like stories, whether they're in books or they're on a screen in a movie or... TV. I like TV. And I got watching this. I started to watch this show called Yellowstone. Now, don't put up your hand if you're watching it, because you're going to feel embarrassed if you were. So, this is just me. And I really liked it. I mean, Kevin Costner, how could you not like it, right? And good actor, good story, uh, great, great uh, uh, lines to it. Like, I mean, it was, it, I, I was really drawn by it. And I started to watch it, and then I get this prompting of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, no, this is not for you. But I wanted to watch it. And the Holy Spirit kept prompting me. Yeah, no, this isn't for you. But I want to watch it. Yeah, this isn't for you. No, 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 no. I want to watch this. Yeah, so what do you want more? Me or Yellowstone? Now, I, I don't know if you've ever had that battle over a TV show. But I do from time to time. That's not the only battle of things I want. But it's just one thing. Where I'm willing to put what I want, a TV show, ahead of what God wants. Think about the money that I might want. Or the sex. Or the partnership. Or the promotion. Or the clothing. 
or the more food. I want it. And I'll do what I have to do to get it. Because what I want is most important. Well, then are you saying that I shouldn't want anything? Because it's wrong to want and desire. Do I give up any desire I have? No, I'm not saying that at all. We're human. God puts within us the capability to want, to desire. And we couldn't want and desire him if we couldn't want and desire. But God is saying, I want you to learn how to want what I want because that is what is best for you and that is what is best for the kingdom and that is what will give me glory and honor and that will bring about my plan in your life and the lives of other people around you. Even watching Yellowstone? Yes. Because when you surrender your life to me, I work through you in ways you can't understand. And you were created to serve me. Now, listen what the James says to those of us when, when we go down that road where we're going to get what we want. Look at how he describes us. You adulterous people. Now, that's a jump. I'm adulterous because I want Yellowstone and won't listen to your spirit. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship, don't you know that when you align yourself with the values of this world, when you align yourselves with the behaviors of this world, when you align yourselves with what the world wants and you pick that up and you want it and you fight God against it, don't you know that this friendship with the world means enmity against God? Don't you realize that when you put your wants ahead of what God wants for you, you are now in a relationship. You're now in a, uh, I shouldn't say relationship. You're now in a point in your life where you're now at odds with God. Pretty strong words. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us? See, James using the word adulterous and jealousy is, is referring to, is it wrong if a wife says she loves her husband but she flirts with other men or she chases other men? Is it wrong for the husband to jealously act to, against that betrayal? No, you expect that the husband should be je- That's a righteous jealousy to preserve what is sacred and to retain what belongs only to him. It is a right response to that kind of behavior. And that's what James is subtly referring to, that when we want something and God says that is not for you and we pursue it, our wants, what we are saying is we are, yes, God, we love you, but we're chasing something else. And James says, God's jealousy turns against us, an action that will restore and and bring us back to him. He will act, he will respond, because he loves us, and our heart belongs to him. It's the righteous response of a God who is being cheated on by his people. Now, What's interesting in this passage is James turns this and says, now, I get it. 
We naturally want, but sometimes we don't even know why we want something. We just want it. Because the heart, says Jeremiah, is deceitfully wicked. It's, it's complex. We don't always know why we want what we want. Typically, we want something physical like clothing or house or car. Not because we want the clothing, house, or car so much as we want the image that goes with it. It's what's behind it. And that's where our hearts get confusing. And so, stating up front how dangerous pursuing what you want without recognition of what God wants in your life, how dangerous it can be and how it can turn us against God. Now, James flips the script and says, now, uh, that is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. James' expectation is, is not stop wanting things that are wrong. Stop wanting things that take you away from God. Just stop it. That's not his answer. His answer, he knows it's a much deeper issue than just, I'm going to stop. And he says, if you want to remain proud and oppose God, well, then God will become opposed to you. Now, this comes out in Malachi. This is a thought from the Old Testament. In the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, the people of God were refusing to give their tithes and offerings to God. They held on to them. And God clearly told them that they are to give their tithes and offering. And so they wouldn't. And so God said, that's fine. You're putting, you're putting, have you ever wondered, he says through the prophet Malachi, why you put your money in pockets with holes in them? In other words, why your businesses aren't producing what they should be producing? Why your savings keep being depleted? Have you ever wondered why the, the vines cast their fruit early? In other words, they're unhealthy and they're not growing to fullness. They're not producing the fruit they ever were. Have you ever wondered why there's pestilence in your field? And God says, because you oppose me, I will oppose you. Now, God doesn't oppose in the sense that, you know, he's a little kid that strikes back. You hit the key and he strikes back. God opposes to bring us to repentance. We're going to find that out. To a better place in our life. But the danger is, is we miss that God will act like a jealous husband when we chase desires that put those desires over him. So the first thing James tells us, God will oppose the proud, but he shows favor to the humble, to those who are like God I really want to watch this. I really want to have this. I really want this in my life. I really want to do this. But give me the grace to deal with this in the right way. That's the spirit that God is looking for. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Two very interesting things. James is saying, submit yourselves then to God. Learn to want what God wants. Submit yourself to what God wants in your life. Don't, don't pers keep pursuing what you think is best, what you want, no matter what, this is what I'm going after. Instead, submit to God. Figure out what God wants in this situation and then submit yourself to do that. And resist the devil. Now, we've all believed in the devil here. Well, most of us. I mean, if you grew up in church and you read the Bible, you know there's a devil. But I, we have, funny, we have that belief, but we don't act on it very much. It's like the devil is this, you know, far out divine being somewhere out there 
but never really touches my life. And James is saying, through your desires and your wants that oppose you to God, Satan is at work. He's a little more involved in your life than you might be aware. And by choosing to submit to God and saying no to the things we know are wrong or the wants we know we shouldn't be pursuing, we are shutting the door to Satan and opening the door to God. But if we do the opposite, what are we doing? Shutting the door to God and opening the door to Satan to influence, influence us, to continue to breed that want, continue to get us to pursue things that we know are wrong or hurting others or ourselves, but we're still going to do it anyway. Did you not know, says James, that Satan's voice is in your life trying to influence you to keep pushing, but when you submit to God, you're resisting the devil. You know, Jesus spoke to the devil and told him to go away. I have learned to to pray that prayer. When I get... So I thought, well, how would I know? How do I explain? Um, There are times when I know. I don't always know when Satan's at work around me because I just don't have that level of sensitivity uh, or maturity. Uh, But I do know there are times. And when you know when I know it, it's when when I when I keep I can't get rid of thoughts. Those thoughts keep going over my head, and they're bad, and I feel bad about myself. And I go, no, hold on a second. There is one, Paul tells us who shoots arrows, like armies shoot flaming arrows into other armies to disrupt them. So Satan shoots thoughts. I don't know how he does it, but he can do it. And those thoughts distract us and lead us in the wrong direction. But by submitting to God, we're resisting the evil one. Come near to God. And he will come near to you. Now this is the good news. I mean, stop and think about it. This is how our salvation works. Jesus died on the cross where he defeated death and sin and Satan and freed us from the curse we are under because of our sin and says, now if you will believe in me, if you'll come near to me, put your faith in me, give me your heart, Not believe some words. If you give me your heart and follow me, then I will pay for your sins, forgive them through what I have done on the cross, and I'll restore you and reconcile you to God. If you will do that, if you'll leave your sin and come to me, you can have salvation. For some of you here, whether sitting here or online, you have never made that decision. And God is waiting for you to say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross, and I now surrender my life to you. You can do that right now. If that's you sitting here right now or watching right now, don't, like, stop and pray that prayer. God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus' death paid for my sin, and now I surrender my life to you. Lead me. And if you pray that prayer, make sure you tell somebody so they can help you now begin to understand what it means to follow Jesus. But it's also what we do as followers of Jesus every day of our lives. 
Draw near to God. Away from our sin. Come near to him. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning. Your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. All those terms are Old Testament terms for repentance. Grieving, mourning, stopping the laughter but becoming mourning and not living, not, not pursuing joy but gloom. It's not that we ought to, you know, we should be these dour uh, unfaithful or dour, you know, stuck in the mud type of people because we follow God. He's saying, he's saying, mourn, grieve, wail, because that's the mode or the heart of repentance. He's talking about there comes a time for repentance. I uh, thank you, Tim, for praying and giving us praying repentance here in his prayer and then giving us time for repentance. There is a time for joy. There is a time for celebration, but there's a time for repentance. And when we are opposing God by what we want, that's the time for repentance. Submitting ourselves to God. Now, if you want to see a good, clear picture of that, Mark chapter 14. This is exactly... I wonder if James was not thinking of this very scene when he was writing. Come near to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil. I, I can't help but think James was thinking about what he heard about his own brother, Jesus. Jesus took his disciples after the Last Supper out to Gethsemane, the garden outside of Jerusalem. Then he took Peter, James, and John and went a little further because he was deeply distressed and troubled, says Mark. My soul, says Jesus, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I am so filled with these emotions of sorrow and confusion and pain that I'm at the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. This is what Jesus wanted. I don't want to die on a cross. I don't want to go through that pain. I don't want to have to be separated from you because of the sin of mankind. God, is there another way? I don't want this. I want something different. And, and, he, and he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but yours be done. Yet, I want this. Yet, not what I want, what you want. When's the last time you prayed that? You have not because you ask not. When we either don't pray or we pray to get. We don't pray to submit. Listen to this final promise. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Give your heart. Give your desires. Give your wants to him. Submit them to him. And he will lift you up. He'll take care of you. What you so desperately want, if that is not what God wants for you, trust him. Humble yourself. And he'll lift you up. Interesting. Dallas, my son, 
was dealing with the two fighting kids, the two-year-old and the four-year-old, and finally said, okay, I've had it. Austin had the truck. Maverick, you didn't want it all day till you saw your brother with it. Let it go or you're going to your room and you're going to bed early. It's my truck. I want it. So he took him to his room. I could tell by the wailing that he didn't want to be in his room. He wanted the truck. Well, that's not what he got. He got the room and to bed early. Sometimes when we want something really bad, it never turns out like we expect. Sometimes we want things and we go after them and we give ourselves to them, but they don't turn out how we expect. Ask David if wanting Bathsheba was really worth how it turned out. Ask Samson if wanting Delilah was really worth it by how it turned out. Ask the rich young ruler if really wanting money and rejecting Jesus was really worth it. Sometimes what we want is not what we get. It's not what we think we're going to get. Now, go back to the little two-year-old. <laughs> He's got the truck. For five minutes, and then he threw it down. All that effort, all that energy, all that fighting for five minutes, and then he forgot all about it. Sometimes what we want, even when we get it, isn't worth all the wanting and the fighting we went through to get it. God's will is always worth it. God's will is always worth it. So what do we do with this story, this teaching from Scripture? Well, if you're thinking, well, I shouldn't want anything, you've misunderstood what I and James have been trying to teach you. We're not been trying to teach you don't want things. We're trying to teach you to learn to want what God wants to submit what you want to God and let him direct you. So whenever you're in a situation, let's say, let's, let's take situations that may be somewhat common to us. Like James kicks off this section by saying you're fighting and quarreling with people. So you're fighting and quarreling with anybody? Boss, spouse, sibling, parent, neighbor, friend, uncle, aunt. Anybody you're fighting with right now, quarreling with? What is it you want with them? Now be careful, because sometimes we can point, oh yeah, really quickly, I want more of the inheritance. They took more than I did. But why? Why do you want that? I want my kid to have more playing. Why? Why do you want your kid to have more playing time? Why? What do you really want? Sometimes we've got to figure that out. Because the answer we get 
initially isn't really the issue. I mean, most kids, when they see their parents go off like that, are like, I'm, I'm happy sitting on the bench, mom, or dad. Well, no, it's really a hockey mom, so let's be honest. Let's be just open and honest right now. It's the hockey moms going crazy. No, it's also the hockey dads. I, I got to take that back. Uh, you know, the kid would be like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't need, I'm embarrassed. So why, if the kid isn't really that upset about why are you so upset? What is it you want? And then figure out, what does God want? Whenever I, get, whenever I get an unsettled feeling over something I want, that's when I start asking God, what is it you want? Why am I unsettled about this? What do you want? What does God want? And then do what James says. Submit what you want to what God wants. Yeah, but if I do that, if I don't fight for it, if I don't push for it, I won't get it. Uh Uh-huh. And the problem is? But I want it. Yes, but why do you want it so bad? And are you sure you really want to oppose God in your life? Now, it's not wrong to pray about things that you want. It's not wrong to want a spouse. It's not wrong wrong to want a child. It's not wrong to want a good job. It's not wrong to want a great career. It's not wrong to want a nice home. None of that is wrong. It's just, are you submitting it all to God and listening for him in your life? God, this is what I want, but nevertheless, yet, nevertheless, your will, but not mine. I'm okay with whatever you say, God. Learning to want what God wants. Now, that process is kind of like coffee. Okay, this is for participation points. Whoever likes coffee, put up your hand. I see some of you have a, yeah, yeah. Oh, come on. There's more than that. Get your hand up if you like coffee. Come on, yeah, you know. So, thank you. Confession, isn't it good for your soul? (laughs) No. So, um, what was your first drink of coffee like? Mine was, it was bitter. It, it, it kind of was strong, bitter. I'm like, why do people drink this? And then um, there was something about it that, though, I was like, I think I want to try it again. <laughs> I tried it again, and it's like, Ooh, she's still bitter and strong. But I think I'll try it again. And so that grew into a I like coffee, to I love coffee, to I can't live without coffee. There was the progression in my life. It's funny, that's like learning to submit to God. I I think I want to, I'm going to submit, I really want this, but I want God too, and so I'm going to submit, and oh, that was hard, I had to give up, I had to sacrifice, but... Well, there's something good about that. I, I, okay, the next time I'm going to do it again, and the next time I'm going to do it again, and the next time I'm going to do it. And soon you become a person whose heart truly wants what God wants. Now, the battle will never go away. I'm not telling you that. There will always be new wants that come that you'll have to fight with. But the more you submit to God, the more you want 
to submit to God. Because God reveals himself in his glory to you through obedience. And that's why David said in Psalm 16, there is joy in your presence. There is a sense of fulfillment and joy and fullness that comes when God reveals himself to us that nothing else in this world can match. And we want that because we want him and the only way we can get him is when we pursue and follow him and put to death the things that would lead us astray resist the evil one and say to God I submit I want you that's how that works so what's God causing you calling you to submit to today what want or wants do you need to submit to him? I'd suggest start looking at those relationships where you're fighting or quarreling because I'll bet you there's something right there that you'll be able to work on for Jesus' glory. Let's pray. We are, yeah, we're guilty, Lord, uh, that our wants often lead us and consume us and push us and produce in us all kinds of evil behavior. We're a little more subtle than Austin and Mavi, but we're no less intense. And yet because you love us and because of the cross and your forgiveness, we have a way to escape by leaning on your grace, calling out on you, and finding strength to submit our wants, our desires to you. And you will fill us with your presence, with yourself, and we will find true fulfillment. What I think we probably really wanted behind all the other things but weren't receiving, we find in you. Help us to say no to the things, the lies of the evil one that deceives us into thinking if we would just get what we wanted, we would truly be happy. Some of the most unhappiest people in this world are those that have everything they want. And learn that it's wanting what you want that brings glory to you. Spread your kingdom in our world and deepens our love for you and one another. So, God, would you take this seed of truth and change us by it? Amen.